Hey, welcome back to Make More Music, the podcast that connects you to music and one another. My name's Chris, and I'm a board-certified music therapist, and welcome to season two of the show. So I'm glad you're here. If you haven't already joined us, we have tons of good interview, over 20 episodes, music therapists, audio engineers, guitar store managers, uh, effects pedal company builders, different stuff like that. But season two is stacked, and it's starting today with an episode with Graham Cochran. I'm going to get into Graham, but I just want to say if you want to support the show, you can do so. You can leave us a donation via PayPal. You can check out our merch. I'll have some videos soon. Remember, I'm on YouTube now, so you can uh, get on here. See, I just got a fresh quarantine haircut, so you can come see my fresh um, COVID haircut in Kentucky. My barber just opened up, so I went in with the mask, and we did the whole thing. He trimmed me up, cut my hair, get the hard part back in there again. So uh, things are looking good. So uh, anyways, let's get on with the episode, y'all. So Graham Cochran, if you don't know Graham, you are totally missing out. Graham is a business coach first and foremost now, but he started and launched a brand that really um, started with a blog he talks about this in the interview. During the recession, he started the recording revolution. At, trained as an audio engineer, he thought, how can I help my friends make better mixes and things like that? And that has grown into a seven-figure business that he now only works five hours a week. So that's his new brand. Graham Cochran, he talks about how do you build this brand? How do you, you know, as an artist, as someone selling online business, anything. How do you really just make an impact with that and live the life you want to live? So if you don't know Graham, you got to check out all this stuff, but let's hop right into it. This is Graham Cochran of the Graham Cochran Show and the Recording Revolution with Make More Music Podcast. All right, Graham. Well, welcome to Make More Music. I'm grateful to chat with you. I know I already told you a little bit about how much I love everything that you've done before and the recording revolution and what you're doing now. But before we get all into that awesome stuff, you ready for some rapid fire? I like it. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Open up your media player, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever. What's the last track you played? It's probably something my kid pulled up. (laughs) <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so my daughter, my eight-year-old, was playing with my Apple Music, and she was listening to Jess Ray, who's actually a, a sister of a friend of ours. She's a super talented singer-songwriter, acoustic guitar, oh, wow. amazing voice, Jess Ray. That's awesome. I'll have to get uh, get a couple of songs to link to since you're friends with her, too. Yeah, she's great. Awesome. All right, second, you can take this as philosophical as you want. If you were an instrument, what would you be? Oh, wow. Hmm. It can be philosophical or you could just say like, yeah, I think I'm that. And that's it. So either way. (laughs) Man, I, you know, that's a really good question. And I've never pondered that. I would probably be, um, I want to say I'd be a piano. Okay. Okay. What's giving you the piano vibes? Because I feel like the piano is like the, 
jack of all trades and it can be mm. anything and in, 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 it can dominate and be a solo instrument. It can be an accompanist. It can be aggressive. It can be sweet. It's not really defined in any one spot. And I feel like that's my, my life and skills that I'm not really pigeonholed into any one thing. I'm curious about a lot of things. Yeah, we've been getting some some wild answers, but piano I think is the most common so far for kind of that same reason. It does it all. So there you go. Um, we're chatting in the middle of all this coronavirus craziness. I know you're still doing a lot online. I want to know what's something that's been inspiring you recently. Doesn't have to be music related at all. Like what's online inspiring me? Anything. Anything. Um, that's a good question. I would say, um, I, so I coach a lot of business owners and a lot of them are really afraid that this would take a hit on their business. And April has been a phenomenal month for a lot of my students. They've actually grown their businesses during this pandemic. And that's just inspired me to hear the success they're having and what what they're doing, how they're reacting and pivoting and 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 recontextualizing what they do. It's just cool to see humans adapt and find new ways to serve and add value. It's been it's been cool. That's awesome. And I feel like this is gonna get into that same uh your work as well, because this is a lot of what you're doing and providing value. But what is a pro tip or a hack, music related or not, that you practice that you feel like people should know about? Oh yeah. Um, probably the best one is to, to set deadlines, like really short deadlines on everything you do. Um, it just forces you to focus. It forces you to take everything seriously and not get lost on the unimportant things. It, yeah. It keeps the important things at top of mind because you realize there's so little time to do what you're trying to do. Yeah. People have been giving a lot of answers that they feel like embarrassed to say, but uh, most people are saying things like, use your calendar, you know, set deadlines. And I think that's the hard part is it's like, there's no like easy solution. It's just the things that you have to do to get the things done, you know? Yeah. It's like good old fashioned discipline. Although the the calendar, I totally agree with you got to have a calendar, you know, be a big boy, big girl and have one. But I I think people don't know how to set deadlines and they're like, yeah, I'll give myself three months to do that. Whatever you think it's going to take to do it, cut it in half, you know, Mm. like, because it forces you to really go, whoa, that's impossible. But if I had to do it, what would I do? And that just makes you think efficiently and intelligently, yeah. and it eliminates waste. Yeah, get right under, right into it, get the fire under your butt a little bit, <laughs> get moving, yeah. Absolutely. So to transition totally left turn from there, what is your go-to junk food? Can you call cereal junk food? Because that's like uh, my yeah, that comfort totally food. Counts. Okay, yeah, yeah. cereal. Uh, one one thing, me and my uh, old community group at our church, the my favorite night is we would do a cereal night, and everybody I oh, said bring a box of cereal, and it was always like the most sugary ones. Yeah, and then you know everybody's stomach hurt the next day because you had like six bowls of cereal, but. There's like nothing. Oh, dude. I mean, I, I like all cereals and I, I mean, yeah, if I, I'd probably do Captain Crunch. I'd probably do Lucky Charms. I'd probably do Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs. You know, like there's nothing like crunchy cereal with cold milk and a spoon. It's just so comforting. I'm right there with you. I could do that 
any time of the day for sure. <laughs> That's good. Uh, another total left turn, which I think would make us maybe back to the beginning is what is a person, a project or an organization that you think deserves getting a shout out? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, compassion international is mm. one of our favorite charities as a family. Um, it's, it, its mission is to release children from poverty, uh, and they do that beautifully um, through taking care of their physical needs, health, resources, that kind of stuff through uh, a sponsorship model, which is really great because then you get to not only support children but at large, but a child in particular and get to mm-hmm. know them and write letters and all that kind of stuff. But and then it sets these kids up for success to have education, to have mentorship, um, from the local like pastors in their community who know them and their family to not only take care of their physical needs now, but set them up to break the chain of poverty. And I've just, I've been on the ground in Nicaragua and seen how they, they run their operation. They're all over the world. It's just a phenomenally well-run nonprofit that actually uses the money to get stuff done. I think 83% of all donations go directly to the field. They're as lean and open book as you can get. They'll show you their financials. And um, we, we love that organization. So just go to compassion.com or .org. It's just a phenomenal group. 38 bucks a month, you can change a kid's life and therefore change their family's lives. Yeah, and I feel like 83%, That to me, it's almost like, wow, they still have to pay staff somehow. And like, oh so gosh. that's pretty inspiring. Yeah, it is. They are doing a good job with the money that comes in. Gosh, that's great. I'll be sure to link to them in the show notes as well. But before we get into your business coaching and the recording revolution and all the things you do, I want you to take me way back on the winding road. Uh, when you were young, what were some of your first musical memories? Yeah, my dad, it would be my dad. He's a musician. Um, a classically trained singer. He played trumpet, um, sang in the glee club and, you know, college as a military guy at West point military Academy. And he always loved music. So he would play records and that was sort of my musical education is we would sit down and he would play anything from Stevie wonder to, um, Alice in chains to Led Zeppelin to Pat Metheny to Handel's Messiah. I mean, it was, it was all over the map. Um, Mm. Michael Jackson, he just sort of educated me on all things music. And I realized early on that I not only liked music to consume it, but I loved singing and I had some natural pitch and I could sing. And so I I just joined every chorus I could as a kid Mm. and sang anything I could as a kid. So singing, is that still what you would consider vocals your primary instrument or what instruments did you pick up growing up and things like that? Yeah, vocals, primary instrument. And then I picked up... I learned trumpet and band starting in fourth grade and played that all the way through high school mm. into like concert band and pet band and things like that. And, um, but I never loved trumpet, but it, it was good. It taught me how to read music and play mm-hmm. with other musicians. And, um, but then in middle school picked up guitar cause I really wanted to write my own songs and I didn't want to be a singer that just stood there for a band. It didn't have an instrument. I wanted to <laughs> have something around my neck. So I taught myself yeah. guitar enough to just back it up. But then it was great. It became a songwriting tool and I actually could take it from there. But I would say like, if you go to Nashville and say you play guitar, they assume you're like a certain caliber of guitar player. So uh, uh-huh. I would never say I'm a guitar player around those type of people. I say I'm a singer who plays guitar. There's a difference. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's good. That's good. So uh, that's funny how many people I talk to all play trumpet. I picked up a trumpet in middle school because the band teacher said, sorry, we have too many percussionists. I wanted to play percussion. And oh, like, uh, man. What's second? Uh, okay, trumpet. I liked Louis go. Armstrong, and that's all I knew. <laughs> so, there you go. That's good. Uh, but yeah, I've since, if I played trumpet now, it would my lips would last about two minutes. I oh, think, gosh, yeah. It's point. been yeah, a long time. No way. Um, so you were in, you know, these choirs. You were in band. Did you do any uh, bands with other people while you were growing up. And my favorite thing is always to see what were people's band names in middle school and high school and stuff like that. Oh yeah. So, um, I did it all. So I, I started a band in middle school, um, called, so one of my nicknames was G funk G for Graham. And so I named I it. Where this I, is going. I, I, cra- <laughs> I was like, Oh, well I should, we should name my band G funk and the G should stand for gentlemen. So gentlemen's funk. And we didn't even play funk music. We played rock and roll. So that made zero sense. But if my mind and my middle school mind, it made perfect sense for all the battle of the yeah. bands we did and all the local shows. And yeah, <laughs> so we did that. I was in a band called Middle Ground. Um, and then I was in a college. I was in a band called Unit 5 because we practiced in a storage unit that was number five. See how you can see reason. the lack of creativity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh man. And I remember thinking I got to have a better reason for this name than just that was where our, <laughs> our crap was. And that's where we practice. So, yeah. Oh man. I, I always, I was talking to somebody about that. I was like, man, it, it was so much more important to, you know, practice drawing or creating new logos than, you know, like actually practicing and writing songs and yeah. stuff. And yeah. that was good. Um, mine were mostly misfits references. I was a big misfits fan in middle school and stuff. So go. it was like the skulls. <laughs> it's like, like it's That's like fun. a 1950s band or something. <laughs> um, so you mentioned you were in abandoned college. Did you go straight into music school? What was that transition? What made you think go from high schooler that's involved in all these things into, I want to make this my life. Yeah, I mean, I knew early on that I, I wanted to be a rock star. My competing dream was uh, be an actor. I did all the musical theater I could get my hands on um, mm. and, and straight acting as well. But um, that's what I originally thought I would go go and do for college. But then I just, my, my love of music started to overtake my love of acting a little bit more. And I was like, well, I'll go all in on the music thing. And in high school, I discovered recording music um, just out of necessity, we we figured we could make a better record by pooling our money together and buying some equipment and learning how to record mm. it ourselves than just getting a few hours of studio time. We thought we'd be rushed in the studio. So nobody wanted to learn how to use the recording equipment, and I didn't want to either. I, I hate equipment, and I'm not technical, but I, I wanted my music made so bad that I would flip through the manual, and it was awfully designed. It was written by actual engineers who wore lab coats, not musicians. It was just awful. Yeah. But I figured it out and I realized how cool multi-track, it was a hard disk recorder, so it was no computer recording. It was yeah. still just like a multi-track thing. And I realized how cool this technology was that you could like record yourself singing a part and then hear yourself back and record yourself singing a harmony with it to just test it out to see if that works or playing a lead guitar riff over a chord. Or So I was like, dude, this is like a songwriting tool. This is cool. And so that's where the bug I caught the bug on recording is like another art form. And so 
I found myself going into my senior year of high school at a college prep private school that my parents wanted me to go to. Everybody went to college there. They have a 100% college acceptance rate, and I didn't want to go to college. I was like, what's the point mm. of college? I just want to be a musician. So I had this yeah. conversation with my parents, and they said, look, we get it. We get it. We get it. Um, we have saved money for you to go to college. Your grandfather has saved money for you to go to college. We would like you to go to college. We don't care what you do after college, but we would like you to go. Um, and I said, okay, can I go to college for audio recording? Like, is that a thing, right? Because that's to me, yeah. is just playing in the studio. And so I found out that was a thing and I found a school great. I could go to. And I was like, great, I'll do that. I'll play in the studio for my degree. Um, I'll sing in a rock band in college and... I'll get the degree and then I'll, I'll tee it up. So by the time I graduate, see how I'm confident in my plan. Never make a plan, by yeah, the way. It's it never totally going to work. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, totally going to go that way. Absolutely. The moment I uh, graduate college, I'll have a record deal. And then I will have made everybody happy, including myself. And that was my plan. So And back up, you're an actor in, in LA. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the <laughs> yeah, back of course. So was that um, a traditional university or was that like a recording trade school? It was a traditional four-year university um, liberal arts school, but had a really good music industry and recording program in my state. And so um, I was like, well, great, I'll, I'll go do that. Um, funny story related to that, though, I got there and just didn't, I just didn't connect well with the college campus life, didn't have any friends, um, didn't make any friends, really. Friends are things you make, you don't just have them. But I kind of just, you know, isolated yeah. and, and was like, well, how come I don't have any friends? Because you don't talk to anybody, Graham. Um and so I didn't I'm like cereal it. All day long. Yeah, I'm eating exactly. I'm just <laughs> stuffing my emotions down with cereal bites. Um, but yeah, I, I I didn't connect. I didn't feel like it was my vibe. And I I was in this little small college town. I was like, this isn't helping me advance my my dream. I want to be in the city. And I had a buddy who was at Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and Sweet. he's like, Graham, you got to come here. And we were the same year. He was at first semester in, and I was down in Virginia at the time. And he's like, you got to come here. It, it's perfect for you. You'd love it. You'd thrive here. The music scene's fun in Boston. And so I actually um, applied to transfer mid-freshman year. Um, and I remember my grandfather telling me, look, I know we saved money for you to go to an in-state school, public university, but if you get into Berkeley, I know this is your dream. I know this is important to you. I will pay for you to go to Berkeley wow. if you get in, which was a huge, generous gift because I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. But I just it was, was a heavy paycheck too. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh, that's so expensive. That's the thing that turned me away when I was. I found out they had a music therapy school, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's real expensive. Yeah, I'm just going to stay in state. <laughs> that's how yeah, that worked. Out. Which was a much better decision. But I was thinking. There's no way I could afford it, but let me just see if I can get in. And and he was so kind. And again, this is the kind of man I want to be when I'm when I'm older. I want to be that man now. Mm. But he he basically said, "Look, if you get in, I don't want you to have to even make the decision based off of money. I want I want you to go if it's truly where you want to go. So let me remove the financial equation out mm. of it. And and if you don't go, no problem. But if you want to go, you at least know that that's because you want to go, not because. Anyway, that was super generous. I got in. This is like Christmas break of my freshman year. I got in. They allowed me to transfer for the following school year, conditionally, if I took more music theory over the summer because I was lacking in, in music theory. Um, and all of a sudden, I was like, man, what do I do? Anyway, I had this long, crazy story. We don't have to go there. But I remember thinking, 
yeah, that's that fine. we can go there. That's well, that's you what know, a podcast is for. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. That 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 was like my dream coming true. I was I was finally going to get in, which I didn't think I would, because um, I was more like raw natural talent, not very like musically trained. Um, but they let me in conditionally. But then it's really cool because God started to really change my heart to to wanting to stay at, at the school I was at. I started to make mm. friends, um, and I just felt like it wasn't actually the best fit for me, even though I didn't know why, uh, the, the long, the short of it, long and short of it is I eventually, um, I decided to stay and not go to Berkeley. And just a few months later, I met my then to be wife. Um, Mm. and, and a lot of things just happened for me in those four years there where I got so much of the same education I would have gotten at Berkeley, but it was in a different context, in a different environment, met a lot of friends um, that eventually led me down to Florida where I am now, which led me into the recording revolution and everything that I've been end up doing. And I, I can see God's hand in my life in that way, but mm-hmm. I thought I was saying no to my dream, but I got a lot more opportunities down the road, even at the school I stayed at. So I, all that to say, my dream was rock star. Um, and I've, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to manufacture that. You know, I worked hard at that and mm-hmm. it took every opportunity I had but you can only, you can only do but so much. Yeah. And it's, it's like you said, uh, especially from a faith background and perspective, you're going to end up exactly where you're supposed to end up anyways. And just being diligent and a steward of that. And it's just funny to look back and see, wow, I thought I was doing this one thing and the steps just, you know, I was being pushed right in this direction. And it's funny, you know, you traded rock star, but, I would say in your seat now, you are business coach, uh, man that has a lot of time to be with his family and helping a lot of people. So it's really cool to think about where that has led you to now, which seems from the outside looking in, like you're really connected to a specific personal mission. So what were those steps and I was even specifically looking at more of your bio and things like that to think what were those challenges along the way from moving to Tampa and starting your company and, you know, that whole gap, because that's been quite a while to where you are now. So what did that journey in the, in the middle look like to getting to here? Yeah, it was a lot of stumbling in the dark, right? I, I moved to Tampa to help a buddy start a church. Um, I said, Hey man, I'll, I'll, we'll move down. My wife and I will move down and I'll be the volunteer worship leader and we'll get jobs and we'll live in sunny Florida and just start a new life there. Um, but that was in 2009 during the last global recession. And, um, you know, I think about the context of this conversation. Now there's so many people who have so much uncertainty about their, their career, their work. Uh, so many industries are being completely shut down or have to be reinvented or just gone. And, uh, so many people get scared when, when, this kind of stuff happens and crap hits the fan and there's more uncertainty, but I'm here to tell you that was exactly the perfect time to start a new career for me, uh, in 2009, uh, a new business. And I, I was just as scared, but now, you know, 10 years removed from that, almost 11 years removed from that. Um, I can tell you, this is a great time to try something new. Um, there's gonna be a lot of new businesses and industries and, and, and personalities that are, uh, born from this muck that we're in that will be, be influential and be able to do a lot of good. So all that to say, I was scared coming down. I, I lost two jobs in one year just because of, um, one was just sort of a department was just wiped out and one was because of the recession. Um, and I found myself 
in a new state, um, not knowing anybody outside of our small group of people that came to come plant a church. Um, I had freelance recording and mixing work and I was trying to ramp that up, but I didn't have any locally. So I had to resort, resort only to like remote mixing of music. Cause I couldn't, I didn't know anybody in town. And, um, I was just thinking like, what the heck am I doing with my life? I feel like I haven't really progressed much. I'm in my mid to late twenties. The rock star thing didn't pan out. Um, and how, how do I use all the skills that I have as a musician, um, as an audio engineer? Like, how do I use these skills to like actually make a career? Like, what am I mm. doing? And my only thought was, you know, I know how to freelance record and mix. Maybe if I put out some videos on the internet, maybe if I write a blog about what I'm doing in the studio, show some of the work I'm working on, somebody somewhere will find me, see my stuff, and see that I've got some talent and see that I have some value to offer and maybe hire me. They sure as heck won't find me if I don't put anything out on the internet, and that's for sure. So mm -hmm. um, that was kind of what led to me starting to create some videos and eventually start the recording revolution. So that has grown into its own kind of mega training center for all kinds of content. I, that's how I all found everything that you're doing, and that was my entryway several years ago into like, oh, I want to get better at recording. And I really resonated with some of those early videos of, are you frustrated with how your things sound at home? And I was like, man, I'm a decent guitar player. I can sing in tune. Why does this sound like crap? And I think, yep. uh, found your videos and kind of fell down that rabbit hole. So what has been the genesis for recording revolution and kind of, what does that look like for you managing that now? Cause you've transitioned into this newer, uh, business. What does it even look like? How much is it running kind of on its own at this point? And what does the new content looks, look like creation wise and things like that? Yeah. I mean, a lot's changed in, in 10 and a half years. Um, you know, it, the first probably six or six or seven years, it was just me doing everything just about. And, um, all I was doing, it was the most fun I'd ever had. It's just like helping, helping my friends, my literal friends. Cause that's how it started as I created content for my actual friends. Like they were just like you, Chris, they were musicians. I knew they were talented, but they would get so scared and overwhelmed with the recording side of things, what to buy and how to use it. And, um, mm. and we knew talent wasn't the issue with why the recording sounded bad. It was just that they were overwhelmed and intimidated by it all. And so I felt like it was my job is they would always come to me. Like I was the recording friend in the circle of musicians, right? Well, Graham knows how to record, <laughs> yeah, ask yeah, him yeah. all those questions. So <laughs> it was just a natural overflow of what I was, the conversations I was having. And, and that's what I've made and tried to keep the recording revolution to be is literally me talking through the camera to my friends and people like them to help them and their musicians first, engineers second, help them. Yeah, make their music sound as good as possible and, and help them not to waste a lot of money on, on gear they don't need and to, mm. to and to stay focused on the part of the process that makes the biggest difference with their recordings and not get lost in the weeds. And so that's the ethos of the recording revolution. And that was just me making videos multiple times a week and posts and articles and sending out emails and creating courses and just, try, just trying a bunch of stuff. I've done a lot of cool things that really took off and a lot of things that you'll never hear about again because they didn't do well. You know, it's, yeah. it's like anything. It's, it's, there's no formula. Um, everyone's got to figure out what their audience likes and what they like. And I was learning as I went 
um, in discovering that, hey, you could monetize your information and knowledge, had no clue this was a, an industry. It, it wasn't quite as pop popularized or public back then, but there were plenty of people doing this type of thing with information products and online courses long before me. And I was just, just slowly becoming hip to... This is you know, this is a valuable thing you can offer is information both free and paid. So that was cool. Um, over the years, I've I love I'm like obsessed with efficiency. Um, it's like a game for me. So every year, I'm like, how can I run my business and actually grow it while working less in it? And it, to me, it's not be not really because of any real reason other than what's possible. Um, how much waste is there in what I do week to week, month to month? Um, and so every year I, I've tried to keep the business growing while working in it less and, and, and figure out what that is. And so part of that is eliminating unnecessary stuff. Part of that is automating tools and or processes with tools. And then a lot of that is delegating. And in the last three years, I've delegated more, hiring out a lot more of the product development and marketing and um, sort of the brain work, like hiring more out for like the operation stuff, email, customer service that kind of stuff. So I'm still the face of the brand and I'm still making all the content for it, but, um, or even collaborating with other, you know, people to make products with them, have other people teach really, really mm -hmm. good stuff and, and me bring my audience into the equation. So, uh, that has evolved as I've gotten bigger and, and as I've gotten smarter and as my interests have also evolved again, again, I talk about the Jack of all trades being wanting to be a piano. Like I, mm -hmm. I developed this love for, for business, you know, in, doing business online, specific type of business, this sort of online business, passive income style, information product type business. I've, I've just seen the, the value it's brought to my customers, its ability to scale, and the value it's brought to my life. Um, like you said, I, I really get to spend most of my life with my family. I get to sleep and I get to stay healthy and I get to be involved with my church and I get to just do things that are fun, like go to the movies in the middle of the day, although we don't get to do that anymore. Um, but, you know, <laughs> You could watch something at home if you wanted, but like do things that I really enjoy. Travel, you know. Two summers ago, I took my family to France for a month. Um, that kind of stuff is, is fun to me, and so I've been blessed to have a business that's, that's allowed me to do that. So I've that's what led me to start the Graham Cochran brand, which is my business coaching online brand, helping everyone that I can do exactly what I've been able to do the last 10 years, teach them everything I know about that, because that's to me just as interesting now as music and as recording and as acting, all the things I've loved. It's just another love I have. Yeah. I lost my train of thought, but I had something really, really good there. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Yeah. So, I think it's pretty awesome. I, one of the kind of taglines of this show is uh, dispelling the myth between, you know, rock star and starving artists, which is pretty funny because, uh, you know, you said, you know, I was good. I was going to be a rock star, which is funny because now when we think during the middle of coronavirus, rock stars are just trying to awkwardly get on Facebook and Instagram live and their <laughs> whole summer tours are canceled. And like your wheels are spinning you are still having family time, you know, and regularly you feel good. You get, you're rested, you know, you're not on the road constantly and how many rock stars have terrible family lives. So mm. it's just, um, cool to see how that plays out. And I would love for you to go into now your, your newer Graham Cochran brand and talk a little bit more about, 
uh, some of the things you offer, which is mostly just, you know, spilling your mind out for people to use this advice and kind of build their dreams. But tell me a little bit more about the brand and what you would love people to know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm glad that God saved me from being a rock star. There's so much more to life than what I thought I wanted. So he actually gave me something I didn't even know I wanted. So there's something to be said about keeping your your mind open to what the future could hold for you and your talents. Um, and at the end of the day, right, the, the way, um, this relates to the business coaching brand, the, the way you make money in anything is providing value, right? Value mm. has to be exchanged. That, like that's true for every single like business exchange, the only way you make money. If you're an employee, you only make money. They only pay you because you provide value to that organization that helps them make money, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they'll pay you for that. Or if you're not adding value, they'll fire you, right? Um, so everything is about exchanging of value. And value can be exchanged. There's a lot of things that provide value. Humorous, you know, videos provide value. They provide entertainment. You know, grocery mm -hmm. stores provide value. They provide food. So everything is about value. So it, it, it comes down to like, what are you good at? What do you like? What do you know? What has your experience to this point in life brought you and taught you that if you could package it all together could become valuable to someone mm -hmm. else? And that's generally a very hard thing to do because we don't think it's valuable because it's just us. It's just our normal mm -hmm. life. And that was me when I started the Recording Revolution. I'm, it's 2009. I'm sitting there like, why would anyone want to listen to me? Like, I, I, what do I have to offer? Um, and it's insane to think about the number of people I've been able to reach and impact and help. And to think that 10, 11 years ago, I was questioning whether I had anything of value to share. And that just shows <laughs> that we, we are a bad judge of our own value. So it takes some, some digging and, and maybe even asking some people around you, um, to help you pull it out. But even if you think about what you've helped people do in the past or, or who are you, the guy or the girl that people run to to ask about such and such? Like, there's ways to look, or there's clues into where you add value. And so, what I'm trying to do on the Graham Cochran brand is to teach people that there is a way to create a online business, even if it's just a a part-time online income stream, a thousand bucks a month, two thousand bucks a month, or many of my students going full-time, creating a, a business that is based off of adding value online through your knowledge, your experience, your skill set, your expertise, your coaching on a, whatever topic or niche that you you're in, whatever you want to be in, whether it's a motorcycle mechanic or a fitness instructor or a, a lawyer, um, there's a million types of people that are monetizing their knowledge and skill set and abilities. And so there's, there's that concept, which is foreign to some people like, whoa, I didn't know that was a thing. And then there's the concept of, well, how do I, you know, find people to, to sell my stuff to? Like, how do you find an audience? And so I teach a lot mm. about, you know, growing an audience. And then how, what, what exactly do I sell to them? And I teach them about how to package up what they know and are good at into sellable products or services. And, um, and then even the selling part is overwhelming to people because they might be good at a topic, but they don't, they're not salesmen. They don't know how to sell or market themselves. So that's another skill set. But then I'm really just passionate about also automating a lot of it and making it again, scalable. I love scalable businesses that can reach a ton of people. Cause when you reach a ton of people, you do two things. You serve a lot of people, which just feels good. And your income goes up, you know, like your income is directly tied to the number of people you serve. That's something uh, uh, that's articulated beautifully in the book, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Uh, 
and John David Mann, what they call it the law of compensation, that your income is directly tied to the amount of people you serve and how well you serve them. So you need a scalable business that can reach a lot of people to increase your income, but not require more time from you. Um, in, in fact, it could require less and less time as the years go on. So those are some of the things that I'm talking about. I'm passionate about growing your business and building a business that you love that serves your life and working less in your business because I'm, I'm really attacking this, this culture of hustle, this culture of workaholism, mm -hmm. um, which they're one of the same hustle, just like a rebranded name for workaholism. And I'm truly attacking yeah, that. Make it seem cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like the cool workaholism because workaholism sounds like alcoholism because it is, you know, <laughs> they're both bad. So, yeah, I would love, especially kind of like you said, in this culture and for those musicians who are feeling burnout because they have been hustling hard, uh, what is some starter kind of advice and wisdom that you give people to maybe even just change their mindset about that stuff. Yeah. So it's very easy for us to assume the, the more you work, the more you hustle, the more money you'll make. And there is, and that the reason we believe that is twofold. One, because the culture spews it. And that's what they tell us. Um, Two, because there is a little kernel of truth to that. Diligence is rewarded. That's a, it's a good word to use, right? If you're diligent, mm. you're, you're, which if you look that up in the dictionary, right, it's like a focused movement towards a, a, a goal or endeavor, right? Like you're not going to just drift into success, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't so yeah, accidentally happen. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, happen yeah. accidentally. Anyone that's had any success that you admire, they have been a focused, diligent person. What's what's a misnomer is that we we, we, we lump diligence and hard work and, and overwork and hustle into one thing as if it's the same. They're very different. Yes, you need to be diligent. Yes, you need to do good work and work hard, but you don't need to work a lot to be successful. In fact, the most successful people generally have figured out that income is tied to how much value you can offer. And so that means, can I, can I speak to people and charge a higher rate because I have a lot of value because I have a book that's sold or because I have a large audience or because of, you know, it's not how many hours you put in that makes you more money. And that that's a mindset that you have to really think about. There's a lot of ways to increase your income without increasing your work hours. Um, and we could talk about that for hours, but for musicians in particular, for anyone, actually, anyone that ever wants to have any kind of scalable income and wants to get off the rat race, it really starts with building an audience. Because if you don't have an audience, there's nothing, there's nothing really possible for you. Uh, if you have mm -hmm. an audience, just about anything's possible for you. You don't have to do what I do exactly. But if you have an audience, if you have eyeballs, if you have a little tribe in your corner of the internet that likes you, that knows you, that buys into what you do, uh, gosh, you can monetize that audience in a variety of ways. Um, and, and there's a lot of people doing this a lot of different ways. But it starts with stop hiding, stop keeping to yourself, stop assuming that someone out there will come find you and give you money. Um, mm. Or if you work hard enough that you'll be rewarded, it do, it just doesn't work that way. It, yeah, that's that's you know you have a lot of the whole generation of people that were told in school and in movies and by their mentors, look, you just got to get get good grades, you know, work hard, get a good job, work really hard, 
and then somehow you'll be rewarded. And there's a big gap of like disconnect between where does the reward come from all the, the hard work. And then 2008 work. happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. And then now 2020 is happening. You're like, dude, this exactly. doesn't actually play out in real life. So let's think about it. There's a huge missing piece, right? We've got, we've got at worst bad information, at best incomplete information, right? The way you get rewarded and compensated in the marketplace is you have to find a way to add value to people. And that starts by finding people to add value to. So the great news is there's so many tools online now. YouTube is a great one um, to allow you to be discovered by people, connect with people, find your voice, have fun, throw up some content, figure out what makes you unique? Where can you connect with people? What, what do people like about you? Um, and how can you bring people into what you're doing and share with no cost to you other than a little bit of your time? And you can start to build a little audience of your own little tribe, as Seth Godin would call it. And then from there, you can figure out what those people need and want, and you can give it to them. And that could be a lot of different things, but that's how you begin. So... As a kind of a, a gateway, I guess, to some of your, you know, trainings and courses and one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching and stuff like that, what would be a starter tip? We've got mostly musicians that are tuning in. What's a starter tip for whether you are a an artist, a performer, songwriter, or whether you're in some other music business and you want to do something like you're saying, what are those first steps for you? for starting to build that audience? Yeah, step one, create a YouTube channel today if you don't have one. Um, step two, think about, come up with four or five what I call content buckets, four or five categories that your videos that you're going to start making could fall into. And don't get overwhelmed when I say making videos. You can just pull out your phone and talk to the phone. I don't care. Um, but four or five categories. So for example, if you're a musician, one of those categories is probably going to be you playing your original music, right? Live streams of your songs or recordings of your songs, like your original music. Um, another content bucket probably should be covers, right? You should 100% be doing covers on the regular of really cool songs, even if you're not the same type of genre. In fact, it's cooler if it's not the same genre, but you do a cool yeah. twist on that cover because covers are how you're going to be discovered on YouTube because no one's searching your name if you're not famous yet or your song title. Yeah. They don't know about you, right? You have to, you have to yeah. create videos that have keywords in the title that people are actually typing into YouTube. Very simple, right? So covers should be a bucket. You don't want to do just covers, but that should be one of your four or five. And then one bucket could be, let's say, um, sort of BTS behind the scenes of like your home studio or your songwriting process or the way you think about music, you know, or Q and A's about music or whatever. Um, and I don't know what the, come up with four or five content buckets and you could go on YouTube right now and look at some of your favorite bands and look at the kind of content they're putting out and see if you can determine what are their content buckets, whether they say it or not, what are the type the four types of videos you see them putting out and come up with that little, you know, idea and then commit to putting out one video a week on this YouTube channel. That's it. And again, it could be you're pulling out your phone and playing a song. You know, maybe you should get some basic audio equipment if, if you want it to sound a little bit better. But some of the ones where you're talking to the camera, you could just talk to your phone. But the idea here is you're sort of creating a little space on the internet that's yours. You don't even have to have a website. It could just be a YouTube channel. 
and you're committing to showing up faithfully every week, even if you don't have an idea for a video, just commit ahead of time. I'm going to put out something every week. It's intentional and strategic in that you're going to be rotating in covers. Um, and if you want to think about what's charting on the, you know, trending and charting right now, you could do covers of charting t- songs, especially if it's not your genre, then you'll definitely be picked up eventually by YouTube. Um, and you're just starting to create and you're sharing with everybody you know, all your fans, all your friends, your friends' friends, your mom's friends, anyone, right? You're sharing it mm-hmm. to get started. And eventually you're going to create a little bit of an audience on YouTube and you just start to interact with them and build from there. Man, that's great. So before we kind of wrap into the last part of today, I would love you tell me, I want to hear like, some favorite memories or a success story or something. But I feel like since you get to coach all these people doing all these awesome things, give us a vignette of one of your students that you're just amazed at what happened. It kind of talks through your process and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's so many, um, and, and they're different for different people. So one, one of my one-on-one coaching clients, her name's Hope, um, Hope Taylor, and she's, a uh, a senior portrait photographer. So she has become really, really well known in her industry for taking amazing, uh, you know, high school senior photos. Um, and that was her business, service-based business, classic service-based business. She was smart enough before we connected to realize that other photographers who were in her niche wanted to be as successful as she was. And they wanted to know how did she get her clients? How does she do her pricing? All that kind of stuff. So she started to do in-person workshops teaching other photographers how to do what she was doing. So that was already a brilliant pivot for her. She became an educator without realizing it. And what she decided to do was like, you know, can I could I turn this into an online course? And so she launched her first online course on her own, even before me, and did really, really well selling that information digitally instead of in person. And so we, we worked together for about a year and I helped her pretty much take all of her ideas and turn them into automatable evergreen type courses. So she wasn't having to launch them all the time. She was able Mm. to have them sell on autopilot and build out sort of like a YouTube content strategy to grow her, her audience on YouTube um, so that she has more people to sell it to. And Mm. this year she moved to a whole different state. She, her, you know, her service-based business element, which she still has dramatically dropped because of moving to a new location and then COVID hit Um, She hasn't been able to do an in-person workshop for a long time, but because she has these online products and we set them up in such a way that they sell automatically, um, she has been crushing it and has had, and she was able to buy a house, move and still lose a lot of service-based business. And it has not affected her. She's probably gonna have one of her best years yet because she automated her knowledge and it's just beautiful. Gosh, well, Kind of before I get into my last two questions, I want you to just give the rundown of what your business offers for people. What are the classes they can take, the coaching they can sign up for, different things like that? Yeah. So on the free side, like if you podcast, I've got a podcast every week called The Graham Cochran Show. If you like watching it on YouTube, I I, I put it up there as well. Same content. Um, And there's some, some more YouTube videos there. So there's a YouTube channel as well. Um, but if you really want to dive in and understand this business model and take it seriously, I give a free workshop, um, where I teach you how to build your first thousand dollars a month of passive income, even if you have only 30 minutes a day to chip away at it. 
Um, and so this is perfect if you're already doing something or busy. What's interesting is right now, a lot of people aren't doing stuff. They're very available. Yeah. <laughs> so there's more time. Yeah. Usually the complaint is I don't have time to start this, but a lot of people, it's so funny. The moment COVID happened, people are like, crap, I should have made time a year ago to start this business. That's what they're telling me now. Um, but they're starting now. So I would say watch that workshop. It's absolutely free. It's at grahamcochran.com slash workshop. It's about 45 minutes and it's very clear cut, actionable. How There's four elements to making this type of business run. It breaks down all four, what tools you need to, to run this type of business. Super helpful. I think that's a great starting point and that's free. So I would start there, honestly. I just keep writing down my own notes and like asking for a friend, asking for a friend. <laughs> so great. I've loved your stuff for a long time. I love how awesome just your, your whole um, email newsletter. You're like one of the people that I get a newsletter from. And it's like, even if I don't need it right there, I'm like, Ooh, I'm putting that in a save folder. Ooh, mm. I'm doing that. And it's just, not noise. And I think that is one of the encouraging things. It's value, not noise. It's not just for the sake of whatever. So I always love to end with asking you to flesh out the how and the why of how do you inspire others to make more music and then why? What is the, what is your personal philosophy? So with the recording revolution is the how, like I, I feel like my greatest contribution to the music world is to help them actually record and capture and present their music in a professional way where they are, which is at their home or basement or bedroom with a low budget, which is what most people have. If I can empower them to record their music, then what I'm doing is helping more music. Hopefully it's good music. Not always true, but most of the time good. Hopefully I'm mm. creating an opportunity for more music to be made and put out there in the world. And the why, the why for the music side of things is because, gosh, that's what I wanted. I mean, all I wanted, the recording was a barrier. And I was like, I know I, I could get my music out there and it would be awesome for people if I could just make it sound good and I'm stuck. So the why is like I'm trying to go back in time and help the old version of me as 15-year-old Graham figuring out recording. And I was just overwhelmed. So that's like the why in terms of like the to inspire more music to be made through recording. But really the why behind my business and, and why I want that to grow. And even the second business is because I feel like a, the content will help a ton of people, but B if it's on the monetary side of things and, and I'll go back to compassion international, which we dropped at the beginning of this episode, the more money I can make, the more good I can do in the world. Um, and I feel like as an entrepreneur, one of the greatest gifts I have is the gift to be able to to build wealth or create money out of thin air, as I call it, right? Like it's it's an incredible <laughs> opportunity. So it's it's also um, a responsibility, right? So beyond taking care of my family, I want to use that extra money that we don't need to then fund things that I truly believe in and fund work that's being done in the world that I, I don't really have the gifting or the time to actually do some of that work, but other people do and they just need the funds. And so Compassion International is just one example of those organizations that I feel like not only can we personally sponsor a, a group of kids ourselves, but I want to fund that organization and we do regularly um, to help them do the work they're doing. So in a way, when I put out a video on YouTube 
and it triggers the whole beautiful machine of my business, I know I'm doing a double whammy. I'm helping a musician get his or her music out there. And I know I'm helping literally starving children all over the world break the cycle of poverty because I'm, in, I'm empowering and funding an organization like Compassion. And that's just one example. I have a sneaking suspicion that you were on baby step seven. Uh, <laughs> yes. Hey, <laughs> Ramsey. Yeah. Uh, so just the language and reading between the lines is like, yeah, he knows. He knows what he's doing here. Well, uh, the last thing before we wrap up, your your work does this. You know, your personality and what your mission is, you do this all the time. But I want you for someone in the middle of this coronavirus, because this is still going to come out while we're all maybe, maybe phasing back in. But, you know, we're all in the middle of this for that person who, like you said, goes, oh, I should have started this a year ago or, oh, I'm afraid or, you know, whatever the excuse is, the fear is, what would you say to that one person to to tell them to go do that thing that's been itching at the back of their their head? I would tell them that right now is possibly the best time I've ever seen to start something new, specifically to start a new business. It is just ripe for you to start. And it's the whole analogy of the tree, right? What's what's the best time to plant a tree 40 years ago, right? What's the <laughs> yeah. second best time to plant a tree today? Exactly. You know, don't go to the extreme reach. There's something in psychology called the extreme reach barrier. And it's the classic example of if I, you think about doing something like, oh, I would like to start a business, but I can't design a logo and I don't know how I'm going to get business cards. I don't know how I'm going to get a clients. And you just go to this extreme. It's like you haven't even come up with the idea for your business yet. And you're already going to the extreme and talking yourself out of it. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. The parking spaces will find their, yeah, exactly. <laughs> will find their spot. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so I would just say, if you have lost a job or if you are out of work or you can't gig or you can't tour or you can't do your, your lessons in person or whatever it is, as hard as this time is right now, and a lot of my friends are musicians and they are struggling, I get it. As hard as this time is right now, what if you flipped it on its head and saw mm. this as the greatest gift you got, which was time at home to actually flesh out something new? I'm not saying you have to give up what you're doing when, when you're allowed to go back to doing it, but what if you could create another income stream that's 100% online, that's 100% scalable once you do some upfront work, that's 100% fun, that would be a great addition to your other income stream or streams and actually view this time as a gift because you have the time to build it right now while you're sitting at home in your butt instead of watching Netflix, instead of playing video games, what if you built something that maybe doesn't make you a lot of money or any money right now, but the you 12 months from now We'll look back and say, thank you, past you, <laughs> for building mm. this thing because now I have an extra thousand bucks a month coming in on autopilot. Now I have an extra 2,000 bucks a month coming in on autopilot, even though the world's gone back to normal. And it will go back to normal. You will thank yourself for starting it and planting that seed now. That's what I would tell you. Awesome. Um, like I said before, yeah, I was totally asking for a friend. Definitely wasn't for me. <laughs> but, That's the beauty um, of having a podcast, right? Yeah, no, it's so great. I mean, I've had so many people already and like to think like 
man, you know, I started this, the idea started last summer, last November, I start taking recordings, January things drop. And it's like, it's crazy to me to see the traction of just, like you said, getting over that psychological barrier and going, you know, I'm just going to sit down with someone and record an interview. And then, you know, coronavirus hits. I had several in-person interviews and it's like, well, uh, why don't I uh, just email Graham? I've been, uh, you know, watching his stuff forever. And it's just cool that everybody is ready to connect. Um, and all these people are ready to to help and to make moves. So to kind of transition as the last thing, I would love people to wax their surfboards, get on the World Wide Web, find you. Where do they uh, go surf in the web to find all of the things you want them to find? Yeah, I would say everything is at GrahamCochran.com. If you do YouTube, it's the you just type in Graham Cochran YouTube. And if you do podcasting, it's the Graham Cochran Show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's probably the best place to start. Well, Graham... I appreciate all the time. This is like mad wisdom that you just dropped in right about an hour. So for Graham, I appreciate you. For Chris, everybody remember, give more grace, share more love, and make more music. All right. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Graham. And if you did, remember all the links to the Graham Cochran show, to his blogs, to get his free content that comes out constantly. It's all in the show notes below. And I would just, if you have ever thought about selling something online, go check out Graham's stuff. But if you enjoyed it on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, hit that subscribe button and the bell. You know the drill. And if you are on any of your podcast devices, especially Apple, Give that five-star rating and a review, and just tell a friend. That's the best way you can help the show. Like I said, there is donations. There's merch coming. It's available now, but I'm going to have some to show you soon. And other than that, y'all, just tell your friends about the show. So if you want to get in touch with me, if you're a brand that wants to collaborate, you can hit me up at makemoremusicpodcast at gmail.com. Other than that, stay happy, stay healthy. Remember, give more grace, share more love, make more music.